All right, we are uh, we are now recording. It is uh, November twenty second, and uh, this this may be a, a more brief uh, study than than normal. My workload kind of got doubled uh, this week unexpectedly, and so uh, we'll we'll move through this probably fairly quickly today. While we uh, have everyone. Um, we plan to meet next week. Are all of you going to be here for next week or will some of you not be here on the 29th? I'm not going to be here. Okay. Anyone else not going to be here? I'll be here. Who said that? Okay. All right. We'll go ahead and plan, uh, plan to meet then. Okay. Uh, before we uh, go on to uh, begin chapter 21, and we're going to kind of dip our toe in it uh, today, and then uh, we'll, we'll go into more detail next week. Uh, I wanted to go over some meanings of words relating to uh, Sheol, uh, Hades, Hell, the Lake of Fire, Paradise, and the bosom of Abraham. Uh, sometimes we can get a little confused by what all those references are. And I think it's good to just clarify a few of them before we start uh, chapter 21. Uh, first of all, especially in the New Testament, uh, paradise and heaven tend to be synonymous. If you remember when Jesus was dying on the cross and uh, one of the thieves uh, asked him for mercy, he said, I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise. Uh, and so paradise, Jesus was using that word as a synonym uh, for heaven. Okay. Uh, Abra Abraham, question on that? No, I okay. agree. Oh, okay. All right. Abraham's bosom is referred to only one time uh, in the Bible. And if you remember, that's in the narrative of Luke 16, 9, 19 to 31. Um, Abraham's bosom was used in the Jewish Talmud as a synonym for heaven. And uh, if, if you remember, the point of the story is that a, a wicked uh, man uh, is, is looking up and there's this gulf, a, a span of, of space that cannot be connected between him and Abraham's bosom. And in that case, Abraham's bosom also is a synonym for heaven. Um, in, in the Hebrew scriptures, the place of the dead is called Sheol. You've read that a lot, S-H-E-O-L. Simply means the, the place of the dead or, or the holding place of departed souls and spirits. Um, in the New Testament, it tends to be uh, equivalent to Hades. So Sheol and Hades. Uh, which is the New Testament reference to, to the place of the dead. Uh, if you remember, the, the Greek word Gehenna is used in the New Testament uh, for hell, and it's uh, a derivative of an old Hebrew word. Uh, so New Testament scriptures tend to indicate that Sheol or Hades is a temporary place where souls are kept as they await the final resurrection. You remember when 
when the rapture happens, that Jesus brings the souls of the dead uh, believers with him, and they are reunited with their earthly bodies that uh, rise from their graves at the time of the uh, resurrection. And uh, so uh, there, there's this uh, part of Sheol called heaven or paradise or Abraham's bosom, uh, which is all tends to be uh, synonymous. And then and remember last week you talked about the lake of fire, and that's only uh, referred to in Revelation 19 and 20. That is the final place of, of condemnation. It's where hell itself gets thrown into, along with the Antichrist, the false prophet, and uh, Satan himself, and of course the uh, Satan's minions uh, as well. So those who are, reject Christ um, uh, have an, a temporary abode, abode in Hades, Sheol, and uh, those who are judged to not be believers or opposing God, uh, their final determination, the lake of fire. Uh, but then, of course, those who have their names written in the, in the Lamb's book uh, have no fear of that because we, we have this eternal destiny and uh, with God. So uh, just a, a couple of reminders there that when Dante talks about hell and we, we think of that as a final destination, it's actually not hell itself gets thrown in the, in the lake of fire. I hope that doesn't create more confusion than there was before, but I just wanted to go over those terms. Okay. I have, a, I have a question, even though I haven't been in the studies, but I've been listening yeah. to it in my car. Yeah. So God is all knowing, all right? So he's all knowing. Uh, he is sovereign. So the thing is, he knows who will be and who won't be, right? Uh, saved. He already knows because he's mm -hmm. gone before us. He's God. <laughs> Why is it yet we read this, right, in Revelation, that still you see that there's consequences, right, that's going to be for those who will not accept him and acknowledge him. And he's all-knowing, right? So what is this? Is this the free will that we're talking about? Is this the, the grace that we're talking about? What, what is it? It's just, to me, I'm thinking deeper because he's all-knowing. He's sovereign, right? He's the creator of his own creation yeah let, let me so, uh let, let me kind of couch it this way i'm trying to think of a, a a visual uh and i'm not coming up with a good one but uh and and i think um when you talk about the elect especially with a calvinist you get into deep conversations yeah. uh, uh, about this the the yeah. issue is god gives us free will yeah Mm -hmm. But being right. all-knowing, he knows what our uh -huh. decisions are going to be. <laughs> and so uh, it, it is a case of he is not interfering with our decision. In other words, it's not the case <laughs> that I know what you're going to do, um, and so I'm going to make you do it this way and pretend that I don't know. No, it's I'm going to offer you free will, but I also know what your choice is going to be. Yeah. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah, right. 
And I get it. And like sometimes people don't get that, right? Right. So they get confused. Isn't believers get confused? And non, you know, non-believers get confused because they don't know. But believers even get confused about this, um, about this free will, right? Um, right. But yeah, that. Part of grace isn't that also part of that ingredient as well on in in that free will that he's showing his grace within it uh the grace grace for the opportunity yeah and that the only reason jesus hasn't come back yet is the father is delaying through grace uh-huh. so that yeah. all can come to him so he knows yeah what decisions are going to be made, but he's not forcing those decisions. In other words, uh, yeah. he, he sees into the future and knows what's going to happen, but at the same time, he doesn't force a decision. He lets that decision yeah. be made by us, but he knows the outcome. Uh, but that doesn't negate the fact that it's a free will decision. It just says, because he's God, he knows the outcome, uh, and that you know one, one of the one of the issues involved in that, Roshni, is is we we tend to try to make God in our image, and you got it. when we when we do that, we tend to reframe him, you know, into what we understand yeah. are the boundaries of thought and time and space. God exists yeah. outside of that dimension. Right. And yeah, so a lot of people don't get that deep in into thinking. It's not mm-hmm. a criticism, it's just they don't. And so because uh they want to define God by what they know, uh yeah. as as your relationship deepens, you realize that we can't define God. Uh he exists way beyond our, I mean. You know, I have to wrap wrap my head my head in duct tape to you know to fully understand God, and then I won't because my head will just blow up. Uh, it, it's uh, we we can't, and, and that's you know it, it, as we saw Moses, you know, not being instructed not to look upon the face of God. He can only he could only see God, you know, uh, as he passed by and and the fire and all of that. Uh, we can't fully know God because we are sinful. Yeah. When that and- element of sin <laughs> is removed, then we can start to know God in his fullness. And But that won't happen until the dimension of, of eternity. Yeah. And I just want to say I'm not worshiping you in any ways, but you clarify it so well because i'm not being critical on christians but i think we are in the place now where we're putting god in a box like what we want to think we can't think like god as you just explained right because we are in sin we have the flesh in us so we can't see god the way god sees things but we can sometimes put god in a box the way we think that's a dangerous place we're becoming to be in. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah, I, I think it's, um, I would define it this way. We don't have 
to fully know the way God sees a situation, but we have to be aware that he sees it in a completely deeper way than we do. We have to have that awareness. And the problem is a lot of people are not aware of that. They see situations and project their human paradigms upon God. And, and we're, you know, that, 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 that's why often in the pastoral prayer times pray that we will be able to see the challenges before us in our city and our culture through God's eyes, not our own, because our own eyes have filters, every one of us, uh, because of the tragedies we've been involved in, the way we're brought up, blah, blah, blah. Uh, but if we pray that God would, through his Holy Spirit, give us a sense of being able to at least see a little bit of this situation mm-hmm. through God's eyes, then we become to we, we are able to respond in a better way a more christ-like way it's not perfect because we can't fully have that god vision yet but uh, not that we ever will but yeah i i think that's one of the problems um with a lot of reactions is we tend to project upon god our own limitations yeah because you guys didn't even see it when you guys had the men's whole thing that was going in modesto you guys saw it too that this is the direction God was taking you guys. And that didn't work out. Remember, it came apart that men's thing. What was it, it years, years ago that you guys had, that you guys were putting together? You, you, there was a. You're talking about promise that? keepers? Promise yeah. Keepers? Remember? And somehow God did his thing. And, you know, you guys were doing according to man's plan, right? But God inter- interjected with that too. Remember how that all played out? I mean, it yeah. was part of it. Well, so- I think what what happened with with that, there was a movement of God. Um, I was never real hep on promise keepers, to be honest with you, but uh, hmm. I, I think it did a lot of guys a lot of good. The problem, just just real quickly, the the problem that we had corporately as the Church of Modesto is that we tried to make it a program and we tried to make the lighthouses of prayer a program. A lot of things were coming at the same time, Ed Silvoso and the lighthouses of prayer and promise keepers and, and a lot of things. And the problem was we tried to make it a strategy instead of just responding to what God was doing and making it a lifestyle by making it a program, the lighthouses of prayer and the prayer walking and the prayer movement died. Uh, because it wasn't presented in a lifestyle, as a lifestyle, it was presented as a, an event or a program. And, got it. and we got a little full of ourselves about, you know, how many, and, and it was an amazing thing, how many men showed up there on that really hot uh, couple days in, in October in, in, uh, in the Oakland Coliseum good things happened. The bad thing was that we in the church of Modesto got a little full of ourselves about it. And, and God took us to the woodshed and said, this is my glory, not yours. And uh, we get, we learned a lot about humility through that. So, you know, the, it was a good thing in that we learned some good lessons. Uh, and that happens to all of us, you know, especially when we 
when we experience the highs, you know, the, the, the mountaintop experiences, uh, sometimes we become, we, we become blinded to some of the unintended consequences of that. And God is always about that and ready to identify it if we'll listen. And the whole purpose of that is that he received glory and that we learn uh, that we are honed, that we are sharpened, and that we become more effective ambassadors for him through the process. That was a really long answer to a short question, but I had a question, Pastor yes, Mike. Yes, Anne, go ahead. Okay, the place of the dead is that if I die today, is that where I would go? Uh. Well, yes and no. <laughs> okay. Wow. From our there you perspective, go. <laughs> from our perspective, looking at it um, uh, right now, it is where our spirit goes. Well, that's Paul, what I meant. I <laughs> yeah. When 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 Paul talks about absent from the body, present with the Lord. So uh, our soul goes with the Lord and our spirit goes with the body, with the Hades? Is that what you're saying? The Hades? No, no. Well, no. see, um, the, the well, place Hades of... and Sheol is a place of the dead. Right. And so think of that in terms of the Old Testament saints. Okay. Right who are resurrected. <coughs> well, unfortunately, Re Revelation doesn't tell us exactly when they are resurrected by inference, by interpretation, by process of elimination. Uh, we think that uh, uh, at, at the time of um, the second coming, that uh, the, the graves give up their dead. The non-believing uh, Old Testament people, the non-believers throughout all history are not resurrected until the very end. Uh, they are in the, the, the place of the dead. Um, in, in, the, in the Hebrew scriptures, as you look at Abraham's bosom, uh, that Sheol is pretty synonymous uh, with that. You know, the guy is, is looking up and he's seeing um, the, the spirit uh, of Abraham or what he identifies as, as Abraham. And he's, he's thirsting and he realizes that he can't connect with Abraham. And so he is in uh the place of the dead okay you're saying the place of the dead then is where the unbeliever goes when they die i don't understand All of us, well there, there's uh yeah those of us who know the lord yes we go to be with the lord in spirit in paradise okay. all right all right, this, this place of the dead, uh, I, I think we can probably say is, is more um, 
given to the place that non-believers go. Remember, non-believers okay. don't go straight to the lake of fire. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Because right? well, there is a judgment. what I thought in the first place, but you didn't clarify that totally when you mentioned it. So yeah, I wasn't was that was that your question from last week? I don't re- you know what I don't remember <laughs> you what forgot <laughs> all right yeah uh, and then the other thing is since we're on off question uh I hadn't really thought of it until just this minute but if if I go to be with the Lord when I die what what does that mean what does that do you have any idea of what I'll be doing there will I just be sitting with him waiting till the next phase of life or well, yeah, you see, this is where this issue of God's dimension of time and our dimension of time is different. Yeah. Um, and, I, you know, I, I refer back to Lambert Dolphin, um, the great nuclear physicist and, and theologian, and his theory that, in essence, we all get to heaven at the same time. Once we are in heaven, once we die, we are in a totally different time dimension. Okay. And we are here. And so, um, you know, it's a little bit hairy when you think about it, because you you see the, remember the people that have been martyred during the, yeah, uh, and and, and they're pleading with God, you know, what? when are you going to nuke these people? That's the Douglas translation. Yeah. You know, when, when are you going to judge the, when, when are you, go, when will there be justice? And, and God says a little while yet. So they are experiencing some dimension of, of time. Um, but given that, I don't think it's exactly the same dimension that, that, that we have, you know, the reference to, uh, you know, a, 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 a thousand years equals a day yeah, of the Lord, yeah. you know, uh, it, I don't think that's an exact measurement. It's, it, it's a comparison Yeah. that, you know, to him, obviously, uh, he lives in a space <laughs> where time doesn't exist, but events happen in sequence. What is you know, the I, I, name again? That I'm guy? Sorry? The guy you said you quoted, the physicist and the theologian, theologian. Lambert, Lambert, Lambert. Dolphin, L-A-M-B-E-R-T, Dolphin, D-O-L, I think it's D-O-L-P-H-I-N. Okay. Yeah. Right. Um, I think, go ahead. Lee, also, I think, I think, you know, the, the Old Testament, when they have the lampstands, and, you know, they had seven of them and it was lit, right? I think they, they basically have a significance on time regarding that. I mean, I don't think most Americans look at it this deep, but I, see, I believe, like, because me being from the middle, I'm not, my, my grandfather was from the Middle East, sorry, but, um, but as far as the culture goes, right, like the Indian culture, we also like, like, um, it's called um, um, a term, uh, that we basically light these lamps, right? Like, for example, like Diwali just happened, right? It's the festive of lights, right? But there's a significance in regards to that light being lit, right? And the period of how long it's lit. So when we look back, like, and there's a, there's a meaning to the deeper uh, 
process of that. And also, um, like in the Old Testament, they had the seven light lampstands, right? And then we have the, the menorah, right, in the Jewish culture, right? So they light that. I truly right. believe because the light has a significance of time. Do you see that, that that process of lighting that lampstand and then Jewish people light that menorah, right? It right. has a presence of time in it that American culture is not going to be able to understand that. And I can understand in that perspective because of the lighting has a lot of significance of what's behind it and how long it lights and when it goes out. Um, that's what I'm saying. There's a time, I believe, in that lighting of the lamp that there's the meaning to it. Well, I that that may I'd have to think about that. I I think the yeah. the the crux of it uh, goes goes back to the celebration of the Passover, mm-hmm. and then the uh, the War of the Maccabees, and you know the the whole issue of God's faithfulness in, in providing uh, that extra oil, that divine oil that was not there to keep uh-huh. the, the lamps going. Um, and in reference uh, to time, that's an interesting concept. I'd have to have to think. And I only could bit. say that because of the culture I come from and why we light, we lit those lights, you know, hmm. and there was significance in it. It's very deep. Um, when you go into culture um, and why it's lit also. And you said, you know, yeah, there's a purpose of what you said, but I think there's more behind it in regards to time, God's timing of things. Like we don't have the same timing as God's timing, you know? And in, in Revelations, I mean, in so many times he says, be ready, you know, he's going to be coming, right? Um, but when, when is he becoming? I mean, Americans think he's going to be coming this year or maybe next year. It's been going on for so long. But we don't know God's timing. His timing is so different than our timing. It, it is. But that was the same expectation of Jesus' followers, um, especially those in Thessalonica. Uh, they thought it was imminent. And Jesus wants us God wants us to feel it's imminent because we have a mission to accomplish. Uh, why he delays again is not to, you know, jerk us around like marionettes, but it's because he wants to make sure that all have the opportunity to come to a, uh, a decision for, for Christ. Um, but from the very first time that Jesus started to present this concept, uh, I mean, Paul operated as if Christ was coming tomorrow. Now, towards the end of his life, I think uh, he expanded that a little bit. But certainly during his prime years, he lived as if Christ was coming tomorrow. And that, I think that's, that's the expectation for us all, whether he comes tomorrow or he comes 3,000 years from now. I doubt it's going to be 3,000 years from now, but, you know, who, who knows? 
Okay. Um, all right. Let's 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 dip into Luke. Uh, Luke Revelation twenty-one. Uh, just as in it. Wow. It's here. I thought we'd only be around like twenty minutes. Good questions. Those are good. Uh, a couple of introductory comments to think about uh, before we gather again next week. The opening of Revelation twenty-one. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared, and the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. There are two other scriptures that play into this, and I think it's good for us to keep these two in mind before we get too far into, into uh, Revelation 21. And first, it's from the Apostle Paul in uh, 1 Corinthians 15, verses 24 to 28. 1 Corinthians 15, 24 to 28. Here's the theological nugget here. After that, the end will come, when he will turn the kingdom over to God the Father, having destroyed every ruler and authority and power. That's bringing us right here to chapter 21. For Christ must reign until he humbles all his enemies beneath his feet. And the last enemy to be destroyed is death. For the scriptures say God has put all things under his authority, parenthetically. Of course, when it says all things under his authority, that does not include God himself, who gave Christ his authority, in parentheses. Then when all things are under his authority, the son will put himself under God's authority so that God who gave his son authority over all things will be utterly supreme over everything everywhere. I like the way the message puts this. Let me, let me read that very quickly. The grand consummation when after crushing the opposition, he hands over his kingdom to God, the father. He won't let up until the last enemy is down and the very last enemy is death. As the psalmist said, he laid them low one and all. He walked all over them. When the scripture says that he walked all over them, it's obvious that he couldn't at the same time be walked on. When everything and everyone is finally under God's rule, the son will step down, taking his place with everyone else showing that God's rule is absolutely comprehensive, a perfect ending. So this is just setting the stage here in Revelation 21. Jesus has, uh, remember, he, uh, he, he uh, deals with the enemies gathered against him with the ten armies as he, as he arrives back on earth during the second coming. All right, and uh, those enemies are vanqu vanquished, and then we have the, the millennial rule of Christ. At the end of that, uh, Satan is let loose out of, the, out of the abyss, out of the bottomless pit, uh, to do some more deceiving, and another, uh, another great battle is ready to be fought, and basically fire falls from heaven, and all the enemies are dealt with, uh, and the uh, so Satan is thrown into the lake of fire along with the false prophet and the Antichrist who are already there. So their forever uh, condemnation is, uh, is ended at that time. So Jesus now has 
I'll put it in today's parlance, he's cleaned house. Uh, he's eliminated evil. He's eliminated death itself. And so that's where we're poised now at the point when Christ has exercised his judgment, his authority. He has vanquished all the enemies. He has vanquished the enemy. And so now he is saying to the Father, essentially, here it is. And the Father is going to place the Son on his uh, rightful uh, throne. I want to read a, a quick passage here from Dwight Pentecost. Now, that was always a great thing for your last name to be Pentecost. That's very theological. But anyway, uh, this is from um, Paul Benware's uh, book, um, A Comprehensive Approach to Understanding End Times Prophecy. Quotes Dwight Pentecost here uh, on page uh, 338. The means by which all things are brought under subjection to God so that he becomes all in all is that Christ unites the authority that is his as king with the fathers uh, after he has put down all the rule and all authority and power. God's original purpose was to manifest his absolute authority and the purpose is realized when Christ unites the earthly theocracy with the eternal kingdom of God. Thus, while Christ's earthly uh, theocratic rule is limited to 1,000 years, which is sufficient time to manifest God's perfect theocracy on earth, his reign is eternal. So that 1,000 years is, is necessary in order for uh, Christ to, to uh, vanquish the enemies, to set things right, and to prepare for the new heavens and the new earth. And then there's another theologian named Alva McLean, and uh, he's briefly uh, quoted in Benware's book as well. Let me read that very quickly. Uh, we stand at the junction point between two worlds and between two kingdoms. It is the end of the first or natural order of things and the beginning of the final order of things. What will happen is succinctly described in St. Paul's classic passage on the subject, and we just read it. This does not mean the end of our Lord's regal activity, but rather that from here onward is the unity of the Godhead. He reigns with the Father as the eternal Son. There are no longer two thrones. One, his messianic throne, and the other, the Father's throne, as our Lord indicated in Revelation 3.21. In the final kingdom, there is but one throne, and it is the throne of God and of the Lamb. So uh, the earthly millennial kingdom is merged with the eternal kingdom, and the eternity, uh, eternal sovereignty of God is, is, uh, is established. So uh, think of it this way. Up to this point, God is on his throne. Jesus, for the millennial rule, is on his throne. You have two, two God thrones going, God the Father, God the Son. At the end of the millennial rule, when death is conquered, when the enemy is thrown in the lake of fire with the... Uh, uh, the false prophet and the antichrist, when the new heaven and the new earth are ready to go, there will be one throne 
and it will be the throne of the triune God, uh, God the Father, God the Son, ruling together with the presence of the Holy Spirit. And that's key. That's important to remember here, uh, that there will no longer, they, they, they will no longer be separated. Does that make sense? Okay. Okay. All um, right. I think so. <laughs> okay. Um, I've done Revelation. I've done, honestly, my pastor Michael Douglas, I've done Revelation three times now as a Christian, being 29 years of Christianity. I don't know mm -hmm. if you feel this way, but I'll be real. Okay. I think I get it sometimes, then I don't. And then I'm like, am I stupid? I'm not getting this because <laughs> it's just every time you study it, right? I mean, I'll be honest, you think you get it. And then you go, wait a minute, do I really get this? And then you get a little bit, right? Then you're lost a little bit. I don't know if I'm the only one who's like that. I mean, I honestly, I analyze things. I'm very analytical. So when I come, when it comes to this, I analyze it to the point that sometimes I think I get it, but then I don't get it. Well, is and, that and crazy I, or what? No, I, <laughs> I think part of it is, Roshni, revelation is so deep. And, and remember, we are dealing with so many things. Some of it is chronological. In, in chapters 14 uh, or 12 to 14, 15, um, remember things are happening there that are not chronological. And, and we're trying to keep all of this in our linear minds and a lot of nonlinear yeah. stuff is going on. John is doing his best to give us what he sees, but not everything he sees is in chronological order. And so uh, then we have to, he doesn't make the connection uh, for us back to Ezekiel. He doesn't make the connection for us back to Daniel necessarily. And so we have to go back and research that it becomes very complex and so every time we study Revelation, it's just like studying any piece of scripture. As we become closer to, to, to God, as we our relationship with Christ becomes deeper, new nuances appear to us because the Holy Spirit now has us in a place where we can go to an additional level of understanding that we couldn't have had before. Uh, and uh, I, I would compare it to the 12 steps. You can't jump to step 10. You, you got to go one, two, three, four, they, because they are, they are scriptural and logical steps to get you to step 12. If you try to hyperspace past some of that, you can't do it because you haven't built a solid foundation. And so that's, I think, part of what's at play here, um, uh, Roshni. It's not a case I don't think God expects us to get it the first time. I don't think he expects us to get scripture the first time. That's why Paul continually asks us to study, study to show ourselves approved unto God. We have to keep studying because we grow, and each time we grow, that particular scripture grows in us to a deeper level, and we get new insights. But we can't have those when we first start out. Does that make sense? Yeah, you know, sometimes you do, and sometimes I think life distractions can do that. I think that's where I think I need to go to pet mode and not have work. <laughs> Just do this. <laughs> <Okay>. because <laughs> that's, 
I mean, really, you know, you would have to be entrenched with it and be focused without distractions to do this. I mean, you have to go in your cave, you know, to really do those steps yeah. by step by step. I think. Yeah, I think however, culture. however you learn best. Uh, now, for example, uh, Lori, uh, when she's yes. on task you like some stuff going on in the background. Oh yeah, absolutely. That, that Back helps to. you study. That helps you do your task. Uh -huh. Me, I need all distractions removed and I'm a multitasker. Yeah, I can multitask with the best of them, but when it requires a very contemplative work, when it, when we're un, unpacking scripture, I need it. I need all distractions removed. I don't have the radio on. I don't, you know, I'm, I'm here in my little library here and, and uh, I, I need to focus and everything else kind of gets shut out. It depends on how you learn best. Mm -hmm. I think, you know? Yeah. So true. Um, I agree with you. Can you give me five more minutes, everyone? Sure. Okay. <clears throat> Let me finish this out, and that'll give us a clean slate going into next week. Okay, so the new heaven and the new earth are going to be created now. In this context, the new heaven does not refer to the dwelling place of God. That never changes. In eternity, that will still be there because it always has been. It is and it always will be and there is no sin in God's dwelling place of, of heaven. So when we're talking about the new heaven, what we're talking about is that first and second levels of heaven. Remember our discussions about that? The first heaven is the air that we breathe. You know, we look up in the sky and we see clouds and such. It's our atmosphere. The first heaven is the atmosphere. The second heaven is what we call space. That's beyond our atmosphere. That's the second heaven. Those two heavens will be recreated. There will be new heavens, one and two. The third heaven, the place of God, doesn't change. Okay, but just the first two. Our atmosphere and space uh, will, as, as best as we can understand space, will get recreated. So what happens to the first and second heaven and to earth that, that we're on? Well, Peter gives us a, a glimpse of this. Second Peter 3, 8 through 10. And I intentionally am using the English Standard Version for this because I think it best hits the mark here. First, uh, second Peter 3, 8 through 10, ESV. But do not overlook this fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. And then the heavens will pass away with the roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, 
and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. That last word, exposed. That comes from the earliest manuscripts that we have uh, of, of New Testament scripture. The later manuscripts that we found uh, give a, a, a different connotation. They use the word uh, that can be translated as, as burned up. I think the word exposed is, is best here. Uh, first of all, let's remember God created the earth. He called it good. Sin entered it. But remember, when he created it, it called it good. Think about the forest fires that we've had. When lightning strikes a forest, what does it do? It burns. Yeah, it burns up the good trees, but it also burns up all the dead brush and the dead vegetation that needs to be cleared out and, and minerals then start to seep into the soil, uh, especially as the rains come. So God uses fire as a destructive force to reconstruct uh, the forest. And I think the same applies to earth here. He's going to take it down to its nubbins. Anybody remember that word is nubbins? He, he's, he's, he's going to take it down to its, its barest exposed state. He's going to remove all the junk of earth. And he's going to recreate the new earth uh, from that template, if you will, uh, the new permanent home of mankind. In the heavens, remember, what was the, pers of, uh, the purpose of the heavens when, when God created the heavens and the earth? They were there to mark day and night. They were there to mark the seasons and to mark the days and to mark the years. Well, there, there will be no more night in eternity. And time will be redefined in terms of eternity, not in terms that, that we have it. So, so Pastor uh, Mike, there'll be yeah. no seasons? I don't believe there will be any seasons. Well, that's sad because this week as I was driving, I think I was driving down Rumble, you know, when those tree, the trees are turning those gorgeous red colors. Mm -hmm. Anyway, today, this week I said, oh God, please give us some of these beautiful trees. To me, it's just like God's glory all around when you drive down through those golden trees. <laughs> so maybe but, but he'll just see, give us golden trees. I think we'll have that. Oh, good, good. <laughs> what we, we won't have is, remember, part of the process of, of those trees is part of it are dying. Uh, yeah, yeah. There will be no more death. I Yeah. But I think we'll experience, because this is part of God's creation, too, for us to uh, enjoy. Yeah, <laughs> I think we'll see that. I was uh, wondering about that yeah. this week. That's Yeah, so, so oh. the, the point is, we may, we may have snow, uh, but it won't be cyclical. Uh, in other words, mm -hmm. it won't be driven by the sun. Oh, okay. S-U-N, uh, or the moon. Yeah. Uh, it won't be driven by the celestial thing that, that we know. It's going to be driven by God himself, and he's going to bless us with all these all right. wonderful things to enjoy. The waterfalls, the trees, the, you know, these, Yeah. even, I think there'll be football in heaven, but I can't prove that. 
All right. I, well, I don't know about that. Sorry. You don't know about that? Okay. That's a man thing. All right. And then finally, there will be no seas in terms of saltwater oceans. Saltwater yeah. oceans resulted from the flood. Really? They were, fresh, they were only um, fresh water before the fre flood? Fresh water will exist. Uh, we know that because of there will be a river. Revelation tells us about this river. There will be no more saltwater seas. There will just be bodies of fresh water. And the plant and animal life that exist in the, the freshwater uh, environment. And that's very huh. interesting, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Very interesting. So, uh, well, and then, different. yeah, a word about the New Jerusalem, and then we'll, we'll pause for questions. And... So why did the, uh, why did the, was it what was churned up with the flood? Is that where the salt water came from? It's the receding of the waters. Ah. Huh. Okay. The receding of the waters. Um, remember the, the God created freshwater life. The curse became the salt water. Uh, because salt water is not fresh water. You don't drink from the sea. You no. drink from springs and you drink from rivers as long as you know what's upstream. <laughs> um, so, huh. yeah. all right, quick word about, and then, and then we'll uh, pause here. A, a word about the New Jerusalem. It appears that the New Jerusalem was created in a time and place outside of heaven and outside of our realm. It was not in heaven, and we know it wasn't on earth because we, we know during the millennial rule of Christ there is a temple on earth, and there are animal sacrifices that are made there not to atone for sin, uh, but to, to remind people of the sacrifice of the Lamb. So it's not an earthly, it's not the earthly temple. So, so this temple, the New Jerusalem, is, is, is not on earth already. It's not in heaven. It appears to be somewhere else. And we don't know what that somewhere else is, another dimension, another galaxy. We don't know. But somewhere, and, and it may not even exist yet, and the place where it is may not exist yet. God may create that place. All we know is that the New Jerusalem is pre-made, and it is going to descend down to earth. Where it descends from, we, we do not know. But as, uh, as we open up uh, chapter 21 next week, we'll begin to see the, the beauty and, and the symbolism of the 12 tribes of Israel. And uh, it's, it's just, just <laughs> it's going to be an amazing, 
an amazing uh, thing to see. And and so we really don't even know, know the what shape. tribe they are, right? Uh, I'm sorry. They have to know what tribe they are, right? The Jews. Yeah. Uh, I think most will, except for your doctor. Okay. Uh, I think that revelation will will come because there will be an identity with the new Jerusalem, as we'll see. I mean, the number 12 is going to become really important here. The 12 tribes of Israel, the, the 12 apostles, there's going to be 12 gates. I mean, they, there's the the symbolism of the number 12 is 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 going to be really, uh, really prevalent as as we go there. So anyway, I just wanted to provide that. Uh, that quick introduction to chapter 21 next week we'll uh, delve deep into it uh, a reminder and i don't know where i, I oh okay yeah here we go uh, we will meet uh, next week on the 29th we will not meet on the 6th i'll be uh, preaching at uh, true light and then some sort of uh, the Lakewood Memorial celebration is going to happen that day. We don't know what it's going to look like, but I'll be involved in that. And December 13 me, is kind of up in the air. Yeah. Uh, is it going to be in person in True Light? I love that church. I have to call Carl and find out because we just all got bumped back to the purple tier. Yeah. 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 Which I know means it, 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 if it's on Zoom, I would like to know because I'll listen to it on Zoom. I love yeah. your music and when you speak and Carl Bryant. Yeah, he won't be there. Uh, they're they're going to be off somewhere enjoying some vacation time. Good for them. Um, yeah. I don't know yet, Lee, because okay. the, he contacted me about being there when we were when we were in a better tier. So I have to find out. I'll find out this week, and I'll, I'll let you know. And, of course, a lot can change before December 6th as well. But I will let Mike? you all know what that looks like. Okay. Although we know we have a church in town that has been meeting the whole time and has never not met in person. Well, that, that well, whatever. But, you know, is are they able to meet now at a limited amount, My, Mike? No. no. Not inside, no. Okay, I wasn't clear. I think, yeah, I think Crosspoint men inside just for the last time. I mean, only a quarter full or something. But, okay, I wasn't clear on that. And restaurants either, uh, because we were at restaurants and they were still serving. So I wasn't clear on what's happening. Yeah, this, uh, remember, the, the county appealed. Yes. The, uh, and, and we lost the appeal on Monday. Oh, so. oh. Yeah. And so oh. I don't know when it went to effect. I think they allow a couple of days of grace period, but basically we're back in the penalty box in purple. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm never on time out. Purgatory. Yeah. Purple purgatory. Uh, yeah. So that's right. where we are right now. Reminds so me I, of my thermos purple purgatory <laughs> <laughs> yeah so lee i will find out and i will let you all know um okay. december 13 is kind of up in the air right now we may 
be in Southern California or not. And <laughs> right, we don't know. <laughs> yeah, we don't because know because of purple purgatory. Yes. You know, nobody knows what what they're doing. Uh, actually, I mean, all of us are people are trying to do the right thing and they don't know whether to get their family together outside or just have a few people. It's very confusing, it, it, I think. It is very, very confusing. Well, I'll December, tell you what, I am not confused. I'm, I'm with you at home. I'm doing what John is doing. <laughs> what is also confusing is for those of us in healthcare that need to have services available for our patients and they have been reopened thank you uh finally and my patients uh degraded a lot by not having services for about four months which makes me very unhappy and then to be even remotely the thought of it shutting down again is just what services are you talking about our home care? I, I use physical physical oh. therapy, occupational okay. therapy, speech therapy, acupuncture, oh. massage oh. therapy are all the, the big keys, vestibular and balance therapy that are done by physical therapy. Oh. And what, about, what about chocolate therapy? That- <laughs> yeah, no. Yeah, I know. I wish that worked on the brain. But it uh, is so frustrating for patients to not be able to have their therapies and um oh i'm going to be a very unhappy practitioner if this if if people close down because it just is is because of this inane governor that is is just ruining all right let let me let me get back to the let me get back to the dates here (laughs) real quick we're kind of going down a rabbit trail here honey Okay, so what I'm going to do is I will post the dates and text them to you and also post them on uh, on Facebook, on the Serving Church um, Facebook page as well, because uh, there's a couple we just don't. We will plan to meet on the 20th, and I just got a text from Brenda, by the way. She uh, fell asleep and uh, intended to be here. She sends all of you uh, her love and happy Thanksgiving and, and thanks us for praying uh, she loaded up my family, my six little kids with a ton of things, and they were so happy. <laughs> uh, that is very cool. Uh, by the uh, way, uh, you had made a statement, uh, Michael Douglas, you yes. had made a statement, something about when we were in the Bible study right now in Revelations, and you had stated something about, uh, I heard a little bit of it, um, that uh, the comment about uh, Lori's uh, doctor, Jewish, is he not 100% Jewish? Or oh, oh yeah, he, he's very. I'm not sure. He's, he's yeah. not, he's, he's 100%, 100% okay. Jewish. And, so and this, I find it so unusual that he didn't know. I asked him what tribe he was from, and he did not yeah. know. And he thought that was just a, a really funny question. And I thought that all Jewish people that are 100% Jewish, you know, that have gone through, I mean, been raised in the synagogue were, were familiar with their line. 